Welcome, brothers and sisters in Christ, to our uh, worship service. It's all nice to see once each other again, but now with covered faces, so guessing who's behind the mask, right? So we can have a contest later. So welcome back. And it's wonderful as God's family to be here together to praise God, to worship Him, and to pour out our heart uh, of gratitude for His protection for the past uh, two years and also to look forward for great things ahead as the pandemic hopefully ends. Now, although the election is no good news, also the war in Jordan is no good news, but we look forward that as we worship and serve our God, he will always show us how faithful he is. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to ask for your presence to fill our heart as we worship you this morning. May you guide us, O oh God, to deeply experience your grace, mercy, and peace overflowing in our heart. Allow us, O oh God, to really be able to um, hear from the still small voice of your spirit and receive the challenge of your word as your people. And Lord, whether we are here worshiping in this sanctuary or at home uh, in YouTube, we pray that our hearts as one will arise as a genuine offer of praise to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we continue our series in 2 Samuel, and today's message I entitled it Stepping on the Brakes, right? Because when you have uh, a near-accident experience, of course, you want to step on the brakes to stop uh, from getting into an accident. And uh, this is the idea here is sec in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, is that David is uh, starting and continuing in a uh, decline of his mo uh, in moral failure. So it's a deeper look into David's compounding moral failure. And it's a story about David and Bathsheba, right? And that's uh, one of the biggest blunders in David's life. He had several campaigns of success. He has shown godly character, but not during this time. I want to take a look at what happened to him, how he continued to decline in moral failure, and may it guide us also to watch our lives carefully as we serve and love our God. Challenges are normal in life, right? Uh, even when uh, the new normal uh, has happened, even if we can already uh, meet more often, go out, and uh, even if we already do not need to wear masks publicly, uh, having that normalcy doesn't guarantee that life is always, always smooth and easy. Because challenges in life are normal. It's like three times a day of meals. It's like breathing air. There's no life that is without any challenge. And life without any challenge is a bit unreal. It's like a virtual reality. You know, life is always at peace if you want it to be. But there's no such thing in life. And without challenges in life, life can be quite boring and dry as well. You know, challenges in life stretch our abilities. It also helps us increase in our capacity to bear and do things. However, there are challenges that really grow you as a person, as a leader, but there are also challenges that might break you bad. I remember two Christian authors, uh, they had a different uh, book that they wrote that became popular. One is uh, Gordon MacDonald, he wrote Ordering Your Private World. 
And his uh, book is known for people who really wanted to develop a deep spiritual walk. But he fell into sin. Hindi ko na detail right? And after restoration, he returned to ministry and he wrote another book, Rebuilding Your Broken World. So this is a pastor. He ha- he's a famous book author. He had uh, met a season of moral failure. He was restored and he wrote another book about restoration. Another uh, pastor who wrote many books on dating, uh, he wrote, I think, popu- most popular is I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which was selling like uh, crazy when I was a teenager. That was so long ago. Okay. And uh, later on, we realized that even though the series of books on dating and courtship that he wrote, no, he jokingly people say he kissed his marriage goodbye because he had a divorce and had a falling away from the faith. Right? Two people. They're people who serve God. And yet two of them also face various challenges. So being a Christian doesn't exempt us from challenges that can make us or break us. But being a Christian, we have the best resource of all, our God, His Word, and His Spirit. And it takes a willing heart and a humble heart to draw back, to come back to God when seasons of failure comes. Okay? So in other words, we need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out to change our lives to become more and more Christ-like to grow in our influence in the lives of others, to be witnesses for Jesus. And in that process of trying to witness for Christ, there are times that our lives bring glory to God, but there are also times that our lives bring shame to God. And so sometimes we think, what is a bigger battle, the daily grind? You know what I mean? The challenges of the, da- the daily decisions you need to make, the working hard, late, and tired kind of life or is it battling with your inner struggles those desires that keep nagging at you to fall into sin what is a harder battle to overcome because the higher you climb to influence people the harder you fall and it's because you impact more people around you when you make such mistakes and that's why leaders like to keep secrets when they fail but it is not helpful because they may fail into graver sin the enemy does not need to make you fail in big ways he just needs to put you on the bench right you can no longer stand there to play and to compete because there's something in your life that is pulling you down a sin or a habit that is uh, incapacitating your ability to be an influence for Jesus. The enemy doesn't need to put you to shame on a newspaper, right? Or to really destroy everything. He just needs to incapacitate you for that moment where you can not be uh, unafraid or courageous to stand up for him. So what we need to do is to really learn to attend to the warning signs right learn to attend to the warning signs when there are things in life that mark and tell us okay there's something uh, wrong now we have to avoid going to the slippery slope of moral failure uh, a child's uh, favorite uh, 
to recite Jack and Jill went up the hill, right? And then he came tumbling down. Because really, slippery slopes, you tend to just, you know, fall down. Hiking up is difficult, but hiking back down is easy because the slope is running down. And sometimes the problem is to, uh, to, have a, uh, to break from falling. And so once you're in that slippery slope of moral failure, it's very easy for you to keep going down and going down. Okay, so we need to learn how to step on the brakes when those come our way with the help of God to stop immediately going tumbling down in that season of moral failure or sin. So we're talking about the life of David, right? And he is known as the man after God's own heart. Remember last week, we talked about uh, the, the, uh, the message title was When God Says No, right? Because uh, David wanted to build a house for the Lord. He really wanted to have a place of worship a temple for God, but God says no, because ang reason, his hands are stained with blood, right? And it is his son who will build a house for God, because it was not his mission to build a house of worship for God. It's his mission to lead the armies of Israel to defeat the Philistines, so that after there will be a time of peace and the entire nation will be at rest. And that is his role as king. He was to be an army commander leading the armies of God to battle. So we see in the scriptures, he wins battle upon battle leading the armies of Israel against the Philistines. And it's like, wow, he is such a wonderful, victorious king, better than Saul until this mishap happens. He... Uh, falls against the enemy within himself. He gives in to his evil desires. Disciples of Jesus are to prevent escalation into moral compromise with increased awareness, purposeful accountability, and concrete action to remain effective witnesses for Jesus. Let me repeat that. Disciples are to prevent escalation into moral compromise with increased awareness, purposeful accountability, and concrete action to remain effective witnesses for Jesus. So let's take a look at David's moral cancer. What happened to David during this season of his life? And what can we learn so that we will avoid such seasons to overcome us? You know, if you are a soldier or if you watch any army-related movies, soldiers are not allowed to have downtimes except during their official vacation. So when they're in the camp waiting for to be deployed, they have to wake up early, do the routine exercises, always be on alert. They're on strict training all year round because they cannot afford to be not alert, right? Because suddenly, they have to rush out uh, and be prepared. So again, soldiers do not, cannot afford, and armies cannot afford to have down times, even if they are not 
deployed. And Christians are likewise because the enemy is like a roaring lion, right? Seeking someone to devour. And so our mindset should be always ready to face spiritual battle. Otherwise, we become weak and vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Okay? We can become vulnerable to be defeated by the enemy. And so David's many victories, maybe he has felt it warrants for his sudden complacency. A sudden complacency. Okay? So this is the beginning of his moral failure. He went into a place of complacency. And he will have his lapses, and later he will have his relapses. Now, when we become complacent in life, maybe because our energy has become low, we feel tired, we are uh, run out because of the routines. Sometimes it's because we become overconfident. Ah, kaya yan, easy lang yan. Okay, and then things pile up and, you know, our world crumbles before us. Sometimes because we just simply want to find a gratification for ourselves because life is too hard. And so we go into that place where we become complacent or idle. And this is the beginning of the slippery slope. It's stage one. And that is very important for us to take a look at what happens during this time. Now, Stephen Covey, in his book, First Things First, talked about yung containers. Do you remember? There is this teacher who brought four containers into the classroom. And he said, is this bucket empty? And uh, of course, it was, there was nothing inside. And so he poured big rocks there inside, right? Until the pail was full to the brim. And he asked his class, is this full or empty? And they said, full. And then he brought out a pail of uh, pebbles and poured it on the pail and banging on it, no? the little rocks seeped into the spaces between the big rocks. Remember that? And until it was full. And then he poured sand until last he poured in water because there are still spaces there until it was really full. And the lesson, according to the students, was despite how busy you are, you can always do something more. But the professor said, no, the point is if you don't put the big rocks in, there will be always something that will occupy that space, something else. And that's what happens when we uh, neglect the things of God in our lives, when we start to back off from things that will help us or strengthen us to grow, accountability, fellowship, reading the Word of God, prayer. When we have uh, take as a back seat and allowed everything else to come in, our busy lives, our entertainment, and any other influences, then we will start into that place of complacency. So I'd like us to read the passage in 2 Samuel 11 in unison with your mask on, right? Verse uh, 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. The author was saying, when the kings are supposed to lead their people into battle, and again, David's mission was to lead Israel to defeat the Philistines, David decided to stay back and stay home. 
In other words, he was living the plan of God and pursuing his worldly pleasure, staying back, not only at his own expense, but the expense of his general Joab and all the servants and all the people, nakalagay, all Israel, the men who were sent out to battle, he enjoys the pleasure of being king. He stays home to enjoy the good life at the expense of his own people. Right? He decides to play first. Maybe he was tired from the previous battle. And Paul warns us about the same idleness. Right? In 2 Thessalonians, he said, you ought to be busy for the Lord and not busy bodies because you do not want to be in the place of complacency and because that is the first step into the start of some of a moral failure. Now, brothers and sisters, the root word for the word disciple and discipline are the same. And it reminds us that we need discipline as a disciple. We need time of worship. We need time in the Word. We need time to fellowship with other Christians for encouragement and accountability. We need prayer, at least those. We need uh, care to care for others and be cared for. We need to also share Christ and uh, witness for Christ actively. These are things that are to be in the life of an obedient Christian, right? But once we stop these habits, then we, we start to slack off. And when we start to slack off, other things start to come in. So we, have, uh, we will be launching a book, Essential Spiritual Habits, by our church, and probably it will be available next month for small group Bible studies, nine to ten weeks, where we hope that everyone could develop their spiritual habits once again if the pandemic has caused us to slack off somewhat. And you see, this, the, the Jesus modeled to his disciples going out early in the morning, despite his busy schedule, to pray in the quiet place. Right? He even asked his disciples to pray lest they fall into temptation while he was weeping away, crying to the, the Father out in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he had to wake them up three times because indeed discipline or spiritual habits are important for us to keep so that we will not run into the place of complacency. So let us read this first Peter Chapter 1 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the ignorance, to the passion of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy, always ready, sober-minded, alert, right? Because you have hope in God's grace. You have hope in God's revelation of Jesus. You are obedient. You are no longer eaten up by the passions of your former ignorance, meaning the time you do not have Jesus in your life. And you pursue holiness because your God is a holy God. So today, if you find yourself in the place of complacency, if you have lost your spiritual passion and 
your time is wasted away in senseless indulgences of life, right? How would you describe your condition of your spiritual, physical, emotional life? How would you, uh, are you ministering to people around you or just busy with your own thing? Are you ready to serve God at any time and even reach others for God, for Christ, right? Are you in that place of complacency? If yes, we need to be stepping on the bricks ASAP, no? as soon as possible. We need to start taking attention, paying attention, being sober-minded, being alert, being prepared to act. Because to prevent escalation into moral compromise, we need increased awareness, purposeful accountability, and concrete action so that we may remain effective witnesses for Christ, right? That's what we wanted to emphasize on. So after the place of complacency, David enters into the pattern of compromise, and it's when lust takes the driver's seat. Lust takes the driver's seat. So when idleness or complacency have effectively let your guards down, when we have lost our sensitivity against sin, doing sin doesn't cause us to uh, shiver anymore. When our spiritual uh, reserves are really low, when our sense of purpose and mission has taken the back seat, and when lust and indulgence has taken that driver's seat, we have entered into stage two, pattern of compromise. Now, First John 2 verse 6 says, let's read, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And this is the pattern of temptation, no? the desire or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent tempts Eve in the same way. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, no? the desire of the flesh, or the lust of the flesh. And it was a delight to the eyes, no? the desire of the eyes. And the tree was able to make one wise, the pride of life, as wise as God. So Eve gives in. Eve gives in. He, she succumbs, and Adam also follows. Their guards were down, right? Satan did the same thing to Jesus when Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Same pattern. Satan said, turn the stone to bread because you're hungry. Right? Lust of the flesh, desire of the flesh. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The angels will catch you. Pride of life. And he showed him the kingdoms of the world. Lust of the eyes. Different with Adam and Eve, Jesus' guards were not down. He was alert. He was ready to act. Remember, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he responded with the word of God. He responded and overcame. And he started his ministry just right after. Right? And it happens here also to David. 
In verse 2, let's read, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Lust of the eyes. David sees this beautiful woman, and he could have stepped on the bricks, looked away, turned away from temptation, but instead he probably have kept looking and looking and looking. Last of the eyes. But it progressed to the last of the flesh. Verse 3, let's read. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So he asked around about who that woman is, indicate that he think that he was he wanted something more, right? lust of the flesh. His desire for her is burning within himself. He gives in, even though he knows now this woman is married. Even though he knows now that this is the wife of one of his loyal, faithful soldiers who is now in battle, fighting for his kingdom. And he could have stepped on the brakes at the time, but no, he gave in. And third, the pride of life. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. The parenthesis is important. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. So she's in the process of, you know, uh, after her uh, monthly period. No? So they're supposed to be ritually unclean. They cannot go to the temple to worship. And, then she, and also cannot be touched by a man. Then she returned to her house. So here David misuses his power as the king and commits adultery with her. He asks his people to take her. And he even ignored that she is ritually unclean. He could have stepped on the brakes, being reminded of the law, being reminded of the purity of the worship of God, but he forgets because he has given in to sin, to desire, to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He has forsaken his loyalty to God. But not only that, he is, has forsaken his role as the king, as the covenant keeper of the people. He was supposed to remind the people to stay true to God. But now in his, the secrecy of his home and everyone in battle, he was the one violating the very commands he was supposed to uphold before the people. So now, his lust has taken the driver's seat, and he cares less about God and his law. The man who wanted to build a place of worship for God is also the man now who is doing the opposite. He was doing something horrible to God. No? The man after God's heart has turned into the man after his own lust. And we know that later, his sin will find him out. Now, when is it time to step on the brakes, right? That's what we wanted to, to think about. Now, Reverend uh, Josh McDowell, a famous apologist, he has a very good research on the effects of pornography in today's culture. 
And he calls today that we are already subjugated by porn. It's already the porn culture. Because daily life is filled with sexually charged images and messages, even commercials, even the shows that we watch. You know, they are in, uh, inserted somewhere. Okay? And even as early as 11, kids are exposed to pornography because of the access to the internet. And there's also an alarming increase of porn addiction between Christians and non-Christians alike. Right now, this is just one of the ills of our society that we may fall into. There are many other things that tempt us to love pleasure more than we love God. What is that for you? Okay, that's the pulse of our society. We no longer want to pursue the things of God. We are seeking to pursue the pleasures of man. Right? We have become hedonistic unconsciously pursuing the pleasures of life and foregoing the pleasure of God. It's time to step on the brakes. Now, if you have reached step two of moral failure, it means you have lost control. Sin has taken the driver's seat. You have destructive habits that are already there, and you are already becoming increasingly helpless to say no to sin. It keeps happening to you. You cannot say no. And so it is even more urgent for us to step on those brakes, okay? Because there's the only way to say no is to surrender back the driver's seat to Jesus, to let the Word and the Spirit fill our lives once again. No, we cannot take the driver's seat we cannot only hand it back to the master of our life to ask him to take control of the driver's seat once again. Because disciples of Jesus are to prevent escalation into moral compromise with increased awareness, purposeful accountability, and concrete action so that we are not put on the bench as we witness for Jesus. Third is the pace of cover-up. Cover-up. So after that, he started to lie about his sin and make more lies to cover it up. Diba? Teenagers will lie about their assignments and their friends and their recreation. Adults lie worse. They lie about money. They lie about uh, their secret relationships. They, lay, they uh, lie about you know, uh, things that they do that they ought to not do at work. Okay, so when we get used to covering up our, after our sins, then, you know, we have more and more lies. Now, it becomes a pattern because it is the response when you get caught, you lie. But if you don't straighten things out, you have to keep lying on and on. And so that's what David did as well. First response when Bathsheba was pregnant, Hide the mistake, right? Hide the mistake. David thought he can hide the mistake by asking Uriah, the husband, to come home and create the opportunity for him to sleep with his wife. And hopefully he thinks that the child is his child. But Uriah, the Gentile, a Hittite, was better than the king because he refused as a soldier to do what everyone else would have done. He respected his, uh, his, uh, that there is war happening. So he refused to go home. 
So David faced a problem. He thought he could hide his mistake, but Uriah the husband won't cooperate. And look at what the passage say. The woman conceived, and she was, and she sent word to David and said, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, the, the general who is in battle, send home Uriah the Hittite. And Job sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing. So he pretended he was asking for a report of the war situation and how the people were doing and how the war was going on. Okay, and, and that is what happened. He wanted him to go home and sleep with his wife so that he could cover up his sin. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But the Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his own house. Okay, so David's plan didn't work. He wanted to make it seem like Uriah was sent by Joab to report about the battle, okay, but he wanted to do something else to hide his sin. And then the next step is to find someone else to take the blame, to be what we call the scapegoat, right? David remains persistent. He detains Uriah further, even asking, why did you not go home? And he extended Uriah's stay for more days and even got Uriah drunk to make sure that Uriah goes home and that does what he hopes he would do. But Uriah's righteous response you know, was a shock to David because it is exactly what he should be doing, doing the, the right thing, to honor God, to honor the people, to honor his king. So when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah dwell in boots, and my lord Job and his servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house, eat, to drink, and lie with my wife? Right? Such a good servant. As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. No, he swears on the life of David. He will not do this wrong thing. And then David said to Uriah, remain here also today, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem the day and the next. And David invited him. He ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down his own house. You are finding someone to blame. So Uriah refused to lay with his wife in respect for the armies of God, in respect for those who are holding it out in the war on duty in respect for David his king yeah but they didn't stop David from doing the ultimate worst destroying the evidence because his plan and failed in tricking Uriah and for him to take the blame he will use drastic measures now he will put Uriah in the front of the battlefield to be slaughtered to death and take Bathsheba for him Self, right? And that's the pattern of cover up. So in the morning, 
David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And in the letter wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. Such an evil, evil king. This was the man after God's own heart. And if you have already come to the point that you're using lies to cover up your lies, to cover up your sin or the evil that is happening in your life, how will you step on the brakes today? When God opens the closet of your private life today and takes a look, what dark secrets will he find? You know, step on the brakes before it's too late. Surrender the driver's seat back to God. You know, we need increased awareness against sin, purposeful accountability, and concrete action so that we regain our witness for Jesus. And this is the last part, stage four, okay? Facing the painful consequences of our sin, right? We are exempt in Christ from the consequences eternally, but we are not exempt from the consequences of our sin Today, when we leave the enemy a foothold, he will definitely use it against us, right? And this will have an impact not only in David's life, but also in the entire nation that he is leading. First, he will have abuse from his accomplices. How do we know that? Okay, so Job sent and told David the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, and the king is angry, right? And if he says to you, why did you go near to the wall to fight? Because you don't go very near to a fortified wall to fight. They will throw down heavy things at you and, you know, shoot you with arrows without defense. So many people will die, but Job did just that. Right? And so, the messenger said, tell him Uriah is also dead. Uriah is also dead. Okay, let me fast forward. No? The archer shot at your, yeah, abuse from accomplices. Okay? David's general may have intentionally and, or unintentionally caused the death of many men in the army by charging against this fortified wall, but Job used David's secret against the king so that he will not get angry at Job. Uriah is dead, good news, but many others are dead too, right? And so that's what happens in this story. His general uses his sin against him. It's like the story of a child with the broken vase. No, the child broke the vase, and he didn't want anyone to know. So the servant in the house told him, if you don't do what I tell you, I will tell your mom that you broke that priceless vase. And so for weeks, he was doing the house chores when the mom was away. He was doing the laundry. He was mopping the floor. Now he's looking sick and tired, and uh, he's doing all the housework as a little boy. Okay? Because he was trying to keep his sin by being known but the story goes that after the parents found out now they said it was okay he was more valuable than the vase and he was released from the trickery of the house servant and that servant was 
given the foot, uh, kick of the foot out of the house. And that's the same thing. When we allow sin to rule our life, to take on the driver's seat, the enemy will use this or other people against us. Right? But more scary than the abuse of others, Satan and people of our accomplice is the displeasure of God. The displeasure of God. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah's husband, his husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Written, huh? God was not happy. God was angry. And God's wrath burned against David. And so we know that seemingly David gets away with murder and gets the woman of her desires, his desires, but it was displeasing to God. So the next chapter, Nathan will pronounce judgment against the house of David and this child will die. Okay, as a punishment for his sin. So when we think that we have gotten away with our sin, we have forgotten that we are either giving the enemy a foothold or causing God great displeasure. We can be exempt from the eternal consequences of sin in Christ, but the present consequences, no escape. Your sin will find you out because no secret will remain hidden. And it will disqualify you from running the race marked out for you as a child of God, as a servant of God, as a witness of Christ. Okay? Disciples are to prevent escalation into moral failure. From the place of compromise, do not move to the pattern of from the place of complacency, do not no longer move to the pattern of compromise or to the, uh, to the path of covering up or to suffer the pain of the many consequences that will come along the way. Step on the bricks. Avoid escalating into moral compromise. Increase your awareness against sin. Have purpose, accountability, and do concrete action points so that you can stay as a witness for Jesus. Okay? We need increased awareness. So pray, brothers and sisters, that the, the Spirit will increase your sensitivity against sin. As you spend time in His Word and prayer, that the Holy Spirit will convict you of the things that ought to be surrendered, the keys of your, the house of your life that you need to surrender, and surrender them one by one. Find, aside from awareness, okay, look for purposeful accountability. Look for people you can trust to keep you accountable, to check on you, a small group, or people or other Christians who will be open and honest to check on you. And last is action. Make a list of steps you need to take to right the wrongs, to change the course of your life, and hang on to Jesus. Hang on to Jesus who promised to be with you to the very end of the age. Right? Leave the pursuit of worldly pleasure 
return to the purposes of God for your life. Our slogan is love God, make disciples. And we ought to shine for Jesus. I used this illustration before, and I would like to use it again. There was this uh, American who went to France to buy uh, to, for a business trip, and along the way, some market, he saw this mother of pearl box, a jewelry box, that was supposed to light up in the dark. And he was so excited to have a bargain, to bring it home to the wife. And on the dinner table, he brings it out. But before he brings it out, he asks his wife, uh, his wife to close the light, and shows out his gift, but to his shock, it didn't glow. And so angrily, you know, he left uh, the gift on the table and went back to the room. And so the wife, curious, took a look at the box, and there was at the bottom an inscription in French. So they found a French lady to help it translate it for her. And the inscription writes this, put me all day long in the sunlight, and I will shine for you all night long in the darkness. Put me all day long in the sunlight, and I will shine for you all night long in the darkness. Stepping on the brakes is allowing the grace of God, the truth of God's word, to fill our lives again, so that when darkness comes, we are, as he called us to be, the light in the darkness, the children of light, instead of becoming children of darkness. Brothers and sisters, may this encourage us to pursue a life that is excellent, praiseworthy, and pleasing to God, a life that makes a difference, especially in the world we live in today. Not uh, tossed away by waves of influence of our society and culture, but instead standing up firmly for Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, who died on the cross for us, who is worthy to receive our utmost devotion, who is to be declared to all nations. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come together in praise, in worship, and also seeking your Spirit to search our heart, we pray that you help us to live a life of sin and compromise and embark on a journey of a life that is fully pleasing to you. Lord, help us from glory to glory to be transformed, to become more and more like your son in our character and in our priorities. And so we pray that in the weeks to come, as you increase our sensitivity against sin, as the world opens and we're out again, we're ready to be salt and light in this fallen world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.